Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. This is Cinemasters Podcast. Episode 26. Welcome to episode 26 of the Cinemasters podcast. I am Daniel James. I'm Rudy Schubach. I'm Andrew Miller. And I'm Tyler Crouch. And today we are discussing X-Men movies. All of them. But before we get into those, let's uh, talk about our trailer segment. I'll start off with uh, Jurassic World, the, the fourth Jurassic Park movie is... Recently has picked up Bryce Dallas Howard as their first credited actress on IMDb. So that's exciting, I guess. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, you know her from such gems as Spider-Man 3 where she plays Gwen Stacy. And what else was that? What else was she in? The Village. Lady in the Water. Yeah. Uh, The Twilight movies, some of them. She plays Victoria. She was in The Help is, I think, probably her biggest movie, not counting Twilight's. Uh, yeah. So I uh, don't really know anything else about the movie other than they have a director, uh, and it, it's the guy who directed Safety Not Guaranteed, a little indie time travel movie that was pretty fun. Also has a share, uh, shares someone with a writing credit there then yeah directed by colin trevorrow and written by him and Derek connelly so yeah it, it, it's coming out next year or no it, it got pushed back to 2015 yeah. that's right so it's coming out in 2015 the year that everything else in the world is coming out and yeah, that's pretty much all we know about it, other than it's called the Jurassic World. So we'll see where that goes and how that goes. We know also, just to add, that it does go back to the original island, at least for part of the movie. That's the only other, other piece of information that's been released so far. And, gotcha. and a new, and a new uh, T-Rex, I think, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Also a new, uh, new dinosaur. Did you guys uh, happen to see that kind of... Uh, that little sh- digital short or whatever that they supposedly might have been for it. Yeah, I saw that. I, I don't know if I believe that that was actually what they said yeah. it was. I yeah, think it was some, something some, else. Yeah, some said it was for a video game that was never done, but I don't know. Still looked kind of cool. All sounds a little suspect to me. But <laughs> I love Trevor. I loved uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Fantastic film. Definitely should watch that to get a kind of a... a feel of what it, he's going to bring to the Jurassic Park. I think he's going to do a great job. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Uh, Andrew, what do you got for us? Uh, I might be stealing someone's just because it's a big a big one, at least in my book. But uh, they announced, I think it was this week, that Fox is going to pick up uh, Gotham, a prequel series uh, chronicling Commissioner Gordon's rise in Gotham City. What? So you haven't heard that? No. <laughs> I'm bad at TV news. I'm bad at movie news. I'm bad at, like, I mostly get stuff through uh, word of mouth, through friends being like, oh, my gosh, this movie just got done. Ah. And what a, what a surprise that it was greenlit a day after, I believe, the premiere of Marvel. What a shocker. Yeah. What, I wonder how that happened. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that would be, again, when I first heard about it, this was my, my arc of excitement. It was, ooh, a, a prequel about Gotham City on TV with 
Richard Gordon, that sounds amazing. And then, well, where is it going to be? Oh, on network TV? Oh, never mind. That was kind of <laughs> that was kind of how. Not that it's going to be necessarily bad, but imagine how good that would be on like an FX. Oh Jesus yeah, Christ. absolutely. Like, porn and HBO. Yeah, or HBO. I mean, it, that's a great idea. I think the idea for it is actually excellent. The idea to have a prequel set there in a very down-to-earth environment. I think you can get a lot of that. He's a great character that's never really been explored in film, his past at least. So I, I think the idea of it is... Being, I don't see it competing with, with S.H.I.E.L.D. though. Because uh, Commissioner Gordon's rise to rise to success is, is probably going to be pretty normal. Like, he's not going to run into the Banes and the uh, right. the Jokers and things like that. He's going to be running into normal, like, Thugland. It'll be more akin to, you know, the law side of the Sopranos than, than... I think that's how it should be done. However, I think the fact that it's on Fox and came in this wake of Marvel, it won't be. They'll try to bring in more that people will make like Marvel. Surprised and disappointed, I think. Right. But it is a great idea to find out who should be cast. And... Uh, I read a little list, and if it was up to me, somebody on this list one that was James Badgedale, who I think would be excellent. Uh, if you know James Badgedale, he's been in a lot of movies this summer. If you saw Iron Man 3, he was Ben Kingsley's second-in-command uh, sort of evil guy. He was basically a henchman in that, but he's had great roles in the Pacific. Um, he was on a show called um, uh, Rubicon on AMC. Great, very good underrated actor. He's an up-and-comer. I think he would actually – just look at his face if you want to Google him. Uh, yeah, I think he would actually – he just has a presence that I think would fit Gordon very well. But uh, keep an eye on that. We'll see how, how quickly that show shapes up. My problem with it is that he doesn't look like a young uh, – what's his name? Gary Oldman. Right. Yeah. He does not necessarily look like a young Gary Oldman. That's true. But he looks like a young cop to me. Yeah, like a, no, like for he sure. He looks like how I picture Gordon. Yeah. He could, he could totally pull it off. I wish that it was a Gotham Central-based uh, – there, there's a great comic series that's Gotham Central. It focuses on the cops and does a, a bit of more down-to-earth, realistic kind of uh, cop tales. And well, you, you kind of see Batman on the side occasionally, but he rarely makes an appearance. And I think that would be a much better... It, it doesn't even focus on Gordon either. So it, I think that would have been a better choice, especially if it was on FX or AMC. But again, I'll probably watch it. So, yeah, exactly. We, we know Rudy's gonna watch it. The fanboy. Sure. Be also be very aware that it's very possible that th- this was greenlit so quickly that we could be running into another Miss or what's her name Wonder Woman situation here. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, when that was all sped up and then went nowhere, no, I would, no, wouldn't be surprised. No, psych. <laughs> but yeah. I think this is a big enough property that they're gonna they're gonna go forward with it. Yeah, DC will push it, no question. Yeah. All right, Rudy, what do you have? So I got two things. One, um, I'm sure everyone knows about this already, uh, but I saw an interview with Jeff Daniels about uh, Dumb and Dumber 2 uh, and realized that they were making a new Dumb and Dumber movie, uh, which it was, I think my first reaction when I found out that they were making a a second Dumb and Dumber reaction was, really? Why? Why? Uh, but seeing Jeff Daniels' comments on it, it sounds like he's excited about it. If they're excited about it, it's not just a money grab, I think. Anyway, uh, the second thing was, uh, I think this week we heard the news, and I got it in my email. The BBC has recently struck a deal with Hulu, which means new Hulu show. Hulu will be able to show new BBC seasons, uh, most specifically the newest um uh, Doctor Who episodes will be coming out on Hulu, and the new Sherlock will be coming out on Hulu. So I'm very, very, very excited to see that. And I'm really glad they struck a deal. And maybe I'll even be able to get some BBC news on there, which would be really sick. But anyway, the, those are my two big ones. Um, I think the BBC is probably bigger for me than Dumb and Dumber. Or, or, oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is one that I didn't hear of until just now. So really? I'm super excited. Yes. I didn't hear that either. Yeah. Look at me. Yeah. Supposedly, and then supposedly for the Dumb and Dumber two, uh, Jennifer Lawrence. I saw the uh, shot a secret cameo for it. Not so secret uh, anymore. 
Yeah. Well, not. I mean, yeah, not so secret, but she's gonna be in it as a cameo. Right. Well, so, I'm in so. then. Yeah, I love her so much. I love her many ways. I do. That is true. Very true. All right, Tyler, go for it. All right. Um, the news I got is uh, Josh Whedon has said that he has wanted to dip his toes into possibly doing one of the Star Wars spinoffs um, and other properties within, uh, I guess, the Disney universe now that Disney owns Star Wars. Um, I'm, I'm really excited if he does do one, especially a Han Solo, because the two spinoffs that we know of are Han Solo and Boba Fett. Oh my God! Where where did you get that? Where did you get that news from? Because I think I I think I know where you got it from, and I think you might you might have read a misquote. Because I read the web. Oh, see, I read the entire interview on Entertainment Weekly. It's like a six-page interview, and I think it's I'm I'm not to be an asshole. I'm just saying like no, I, no, you you may be right because I mean it's a little little article he, here. He was mentioned. They mentioned. I was in my pants for for Josh Whedon doing. He's Hans not. He, he's not doing any of it. He, they, they asked him point blank, what do you think about it? Are you interested? He said, well, it's hard not to be, obviously, because how do you not be excited? But currently, I have no plans. So don't, like, I, I, that's just the thing, like, dollar. like anyone says, you know. it's just, yeah. You can't not want to do it. If you're any yeah. fanboy who grew up with the Star Wars movies, you're going to be, at least have part of a thought to want to make it. But currently, he has no plans on doing that. Right. Well, Sorry, not to, not to, not to, not to news. I just want to be clear. Good, Well, good. maybe I'm... it's just a, I don't know. That'd yeah. be cool still. You did That's one. what they call him, Andrew the Dream Killer. <laughs> that is true. But I'd rather have Andrew kill Tyler's dreams than have any listeners' dreams get killed when they hear that and then go look it up. True facts. Fair enough. Sorry, Sorry Tyler. Listeners. It's okay. But, but it is exciting that... Uh, Han Solo and Boba Fett are happening, if that is the yes. case, which I believe I did hear Han Solo. I did not hear that Boba Fett was confirmed. I think they're rumors, but yeah. very strong. That's what they're saying is those are the two films that most likely are going to be the spinoffs. Because they're the two films that people want to see. Yeah. Just just saying. Like, I would rather see those than Episode 7. Yeah. <laughs> At least the uh, Boba Fett I one. Don't... <laughs> But wow! I can't say that. I can't say that. Not not that I don't want to see episode seven. I just Boba Fett's I amazing. Yeah, that that's a that's a whole other discussion. I'd love to see a Boba Fett movie. I would not want to see a Han Solo movie. Yeah, that one me, I could Han care Solo, less about. To I'm me, Han Solo is a fully made character when he comes on screen. I don't want whatever's in my head that he did is way better than whatever movie will be. I don't want to yeah. know. Fair. I'm just saying that if I had a chance to see Joss Whedon style writing in a Han Solo universe, I'd be happy. Well, technically, almost true. we did almost have a Boba Fett movie already, kind of with Star Wars thirteen thirteen, because apparently Boba Fett yes. was a playable character before it got shut down. I saw that too. Yeah, I saw uh, on main, IGN. He was the main character. He was the protagonist of the entire game. Are you sure? Yes, I just okay. read because I I read it yesterday. He was the okay. star of the game. Okay, so that was I guess when they did all the like the pre-alpha stuff in the looking i guess that was boba fett we were looking at yeah which is crazy okay yeah so that technically would have been the boba fett movie that we could have had so maybe that's another reason lucasart shut down because they wanted to do a boba fett spinoff that's very movie. possible yeah you heard it per first okay you heard it here first that's the reason i don't know that'd be really cool so all right i'm done yeah if we're right someone needs to get us some beer or something That'd be great. I would love some beer from anybody. <laughs> uh, okay. So, I think that's that's pretty good for trailers. Uh, we'll jump right into the feature presentation where we talk about all of the X-Men movies. How many are there? Six? Did I count that right? There are currently six. Okay. 
So. There's a seven upcoming. With seventh on its way. Yes. And we will hint at that later. So let's get into X-Men number one. The first X-Men movie came out in the year 2000, directed by Brian Singer and written by a whole bunch of people. Uh, this one, the IMDb summary is two mutants come to a private academy for the their kind whose resident superhero team must oppose a terrorist organization with similar powers. That's what it says. Which Two is mutants. a really, really awful summary now that I read it for the first time. <laughs> that's on that's the air. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the one for the try, one for... try reading the anonymous one. That one sounds a little better. Uh, Scroll down a little bit. Yeah. In a world where both mutants and humans <laughs> fear each other, Marie, better known as Rogue, runs away from home and hitches a ride with another mutant known as Logan, aka Wolverine. Charles Xavier, who owns a school for young mutants, sends Storm and Cyclops to bring them back before it is too late. Magneto, who believes a war is approaching, has an evil plan in mind and needs young Rogue to, Rogue to help him. So, that's yeah, better. that's a little better. Yeah, that, that's a lot better. Better, but too specific, I would say. I want, I want something in between those two. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get that I later. Would say, uh, <laughs> I would say beat the X-Men. That'd probably be my... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's the X-Men. Go. This is X-Men. X-Men. Meet the X-Men. <laughs> They're the family. <laughs> From a town in New York. Somewhere <laughs> they... All they've had in the academy. It's nice. It's good. It rhymed too. Uh, yeah. Not yes. Bad. Well done. Cool. So yeah, this is <laughs> this is kind of the first of nice. the modern comic book movies, I would say. And yeah. yeah, it really spawned the ridiculous amount of comic book movies we have nowadays. I remember losing my mind when this movie first came out. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I was a huge fan of X Men uh, '90s cartoon. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, oh, I yes. remember oh, watching I that a lot. That was my childhood. Fucking damn it! Oh wait, how does it go? Yeah. had Jubilee in the background at the end, oh just God. going nuts. Worst mutant power ever! I can shoot fireworks out of my hands. She was like. <laughs> She was like the shittiest every person you and, could and ever who's, anyway. And who was the best? And we'll get into this later, but who was it? Gambit. Fucking Gambit. Gambit. Always yep. Gambit. For sure. Cyclops. Cyclops, my favorite. Sorry. Yeah, Cyclops was a great character until he got to this movie. <laughs> I thought he was okay in this movie. He, he well, was we'll, okay I'll, in we'll, this. We'll, we'll talk about the one I hated but him we'll, in. We'll get there we'll later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A great movie. Great comic book movie. Uh great use of most of the characters in this movie it set the, it set the bar relatively high yeah uh, i would I, yeah i no. would i would uh, just to just to clarify a little bit because i would say like i think you make a great point about it starting it i would say like if you were to describe it in a certain way blade was a baby step in the right direction this i would say was a full step and then sam raimi's spider-man was a leap and that's yes. kind of how the beginning of all that started, I would say. At least how it felt to me personally. I remember seeing this first X-Men and being in prep, being like, nah, that's good. Like, uh, but not, I wasn't like incredibly excited. But then I saw Spider-Man and I was like, holy shit. I, but, I would agree with you. I think Spider-Man is more of a comic book movie than the X-Men is, but the X-Men... I, I, I thought X-Men blew me away. I was with... just more excited because I'm more, I'm more familiar and more tied emotionally to the X-Men franchise. Right. And I think, I think a lot of people, a lot of people were. I wasn't, I, I don't know why I don't remember being that pumped up about it. It kind of like blind, and I consider myself pretty knowledgeable about movies even at that age. But it kind of blindsided me when it came out. And the one thing that stood out to me about it, and it still does, is how moody this one is. It's like dark the entire movie, like from a like a visual standpoint, from a tonal standpoint, it's very moody. Like it's almost like a like a French, <laughs> like a French version of a superhero movie. Like, it's very odd. It comes off as, you know, there are a lot of weird scenes in this movie. Ballsy scenes. Like, you know, the naked guy on the beat. I mean, that was weird. Even as a kid, like, it's still weird now. Oh, yeah. It, it, I mean, it centers around Anna Packin's rogue, and she's she's a very angsty character. Mm, I can't touch yeah. people. Meh. <laughs> 
I'm pretty like, sure that line's in the movie. Uh, that one's in three, right. actually. Oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, this is where I got a big crush on her because she was really hot at the time, and I was like the right age for that. So my my and only then you saw was, True Blood. Yep. Mm. Mm, True Blood. Uh, yep. How they effed with uh, canon ages, like. I, I feel like in in everything that I've seen, both comic book and uh, cartoon, that was sort of my gateway to, to get me into comics, was um, that uh, Rogue and Storm are like contemporaries. They're 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 on the same level age wise. They they sort of went yeah. through the same sort of world shit stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so to see Rogue coming in as a as a younger person, a student in in the X Men, uh, while Storm is being pedigreed to become the new headmaster, was was a little jarring. Um, but but I understand why they did it the way they did it. I think the best because thing they wanted to make people like Dan James have uh, a teenage boner. That's true. <laughs> that that's actually the and my next single is teenage boner. Teenage boner. <laughs> it's kind of big, but not big enough. It's like teenage wasteland. It's a grower, not a shower. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the best thing this movie did. Again, I, to me, the the whole Magneto's whole thing didn't really work for me that well in this movie. I thought it was kind of convoluted and didn't. I, I, I mean, the, all the bad guys in it didn't really work for me that much. I felt like Toad and Sabretooth. Oh, yeah. Very bland, not really a lot of stuff going on between them. Um, Magneto himself was, I mean, you know, he's played by the incomparable in McKellen, who's amazing. But at the same time, I just felt his whole plan was kind of a little lax. However, I think the best thing the movie did was, I think the relationship between Wolverine and, and uh, Rogue was very well done in this. And mm-hmm. I really liked I really liked their introduction to um, Jean Grey and the way that was played. I thought that was actually very well done. Between... Her and uh, Cyclops and Wolverine. I think those were handled pretty well. We're going to talk about this more when we get to Origins, but I thought the Sabretooth was really lackluster. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree also. He yeah, didn't I, say I, a word, did he? Besides, besides Magneto, he, he I did. think all of the, of the bad guys. Besides, well, Magneto and Mystique. I think Mystique was played really well. Was that CZ, CZ Jones? Who? Catherine Zeta-Jones? No, 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 that was... Rebecca uh, Romaine. Yeah, she was good. Yeah, that's true. I think, yeah, she... Throughout the whole trilogy, I thought she's done a fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason that uh, Mystique and Magneto are the only two returning villains. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Nobody saw that movie and went, oh, I want more Toad. (laughs) Well, I I saw that movie and was like, I want more Ray Park doing ridiculous shit. Ray Park is great. Yeah, but. (laughs) Which one was Ray Park? Toad. 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 Oh yeah. Also Darth, Darth Maul. Maul. Yeah. Also oh everything. Um, Snake Eyes. Yeah. 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 Snake Eyes. Good. Good. Yeah. A good movie. It definitely a big stepping stone towards the comic movies, if if not the first big one, because it was definitely bigger than Blade, but definitely not as uh, powerful, ambitious as Spider Man. As iconic, like I think, iconic, I think, that, yeah. I think the reason that Spider-Man feels more like a, a cartoon, or sorry, a, a comic book movie, is because they employed comic book storytelling techniques that, that they didn't even try for in, in the original X-Men. Right, right, yeah. Like we didn't have, the, we didn't have the comic-style yellow box narrative of the of the main character. We didn't have any of the sort of cartoony box outlines for framing. Um, it, a lot of the the main sort of ways that the 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 movie maker is taking um, inspiration from the way comics are written and drawn. Um, They just sort of took the comic book as a reference material and made an action movie out of it. Yes. And it was a good movie. It was a good action movie. It's not necessarily a comic book. And I think it's also hard, and the reason I prefer Spider-Man, that's a whole other discussion, but I think it's difficult for X-Men for any writer to try to create a superhero movie like that when it's dealing with a, a large team, an ensemble, because usually right. the strongest superhero movies tend to be focused on a single protagonist because you can really chronicle their journey. Like so the Avengers. It, so it takes a lot of work. 
yeah, the event. <laughs> oh, the event. Uh, so kudos to kudos to the X to the X Men to try to like you know and those writers for trying to pull all that together. And I think they did a good job. Yeah, for sure. So let's move on to X Men Two, X Two, whatever, whatever they want to call it. When I spy my third eye's extremely high voltage That's why I need Ruby Quartz glasses Cause when I glance at the chance that I might blast the masses Subliminals transmitted through piano Integrated in flow, calculated in nano I use skills when I need, please heed the rhyme I hear when I bleed when I proceed through time I walk through walls and inanimate obstacles By inducing a reduction of cells and molecules I bring the knowledge, you swallow a steak, that's a hologram I box your head, fatten your lip like collagen the telepath deliver verses with no postage. Farrow March, Mike Shinoda, we high voltage. Yes. I just thought United. To go off what I was just saying, I was I would say if you say X Men One, what I'd say was maybe a solid band. You're cutting him now. I'm maybe right. a double. I would call X Men Two a, a home run. A hope I am. <laughs> I'm cutting in and out. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Start that analogy over. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Here's the here's the dumb analogy. Here's the dumb analogy. The dumb analogy is this. If you would call X-Men the first one, maybe a solid single or maybe a double for baseball terms, I would call X-Men 2 a home run in terms of what they were trying to do and creating uh, the X-Men universe. Uh, basically, the premise of that one is that uh, Colonel Stryker, the mysterious military non-mutant human head of this organization that uh, caused or actually made Wolverine in what he is, but has a plan to heal. Freaking everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And, uh, yeah, his, his, basically the whole movie centers around Stryker's plan to try to get rid of the mutant kind across the, uh, across the world. And the, the X-Men team has to team up with Magneto and his group to uh, team together to kind of stop that threat. It's the first movie also that dealt with the sort of greater X-Men theme that's been in the comics of the enemy isn't really Magneto or the other mutants, the enemy is humankind and prejudice. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was, this is definitely the first one that really played that. Uh, anyone who's read about the behind the scenes of Singer knows that one of the main themes that his movies were going for was the uh, subtext of, of, of and uh, the idea of, of gay people. Because Singer is gay, uh, and when he first met with Ian what? McKellen in the first one, he... Well, you got to drag that back. Brian Singer's... Singer's gay? Sorry, Sorry let me go back. Brian yeah. Singer's gay, um, as is Ian McKellen. Holy balls. When yeah. they were first making the original <laughs> movie, when they were first making the original movie, Brian Singer... When they were first making the original movie, Brian Singer went to Ian McKellen and basically told them... And he worked with the writers, too, that basically he saw... And Brian Singer has said this in many, many interviews... He saw X-Men as sort of a parable to gay people. And if you watch it as that, you can actually trace it a little bit. Uh, well, the fact that they are... They, it's, 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 it's a parable it's, for, for all kinds of persecution. Yeah, I mean, it could be racism. I agree. It could be... That's, I agree with you. I agree with you, but, but Singer's specific... Oh I, mean, I, I mean, I mean, that's understandable, but I didn't... Regarding gay people. I did not like, know... That's just, like, that's how, that's how he... I didn't know he swung that way. That's how he approached it as a filmmaker. And if you, the idea, yeah. Well, I mean, and you can see it as, like you're saying, as any sort of persecution. The idea that, I mean, here's what you do. Go to X2, watch the scene where he's trying to come out to his parents. That scene is directly related to coming out as being a gay, gay man. Brian Singer's talked about that in interviews. If you would go back and watch that scene. Absolutely. It plays like somebody coming out to the parents. He's nervous. He's scared. Yeah. Um, he doesn't know what to say, and then the parrot even says, can you try not being a mutant? Like, is that even an option? Right. And it's not, because yeah. he was born that way. 
And that one, so the, this yeah, watch of this thing. was really the first time that I got that that strongly that that was a parable there. Yeah. Uh, and then I kind of thought it was funny. It was like uh, it was passed on through the dad. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> trying to say that it was a right, right, genetic, yeah, genetic thing instead of a choice, which I kind of now thinking back on it, like, oh, okay, well, and honestly, I didn't know Singer was gay, so this is news right. to me. But, I mean, going back on it, the mutants could be necessarily causes anything. But I guess specifically to Singer, it was the homosexual variety of the gay population. So, I mean, it makes sense. But like Yeah, I, said, I mean, I, I think it's just a good way for him to get a handle on it. As, yeah. You know, you when you approach any film as a director, you want to try to approach it from your emotional standpoint. I think that's what he latched onto. Uh, there are three. To me, this is my second favorite of the of the of all the movies. Uh, when it first came out, it was very well received. I think it's still very well received. To many, it's still the best. I would say it shares the the mantle with that or First Class. Uh, there are three things, three reasons why I think this movie works so well. One, like I said, uh, it makes the enemy humans uh, and sort of prejudice as opposed to a mutant. Not there is. I mean, Magneto is still an enemy. He's someone that you you know you keep your friends close, your enemies closer kind of thing. But the main enemy is humankind. And I think the best X-Men movie frame it as that. First Class also does that. Um, secondly, it's very fast-paced. I would say the first one, X-Men, was a little bit slow and took some time introducing everyone. This one is almost fully, fully, like, hardcore. Every second this movie is go, 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 go. And it does a great job pacing-wise with that. Uh, and, and thirdly, it really just handles all the character wells. It, it, every character in this movie has a great moment in it. It really does a great juggling act of, of giving you character moments. For, you, have ex, you have Wolverine's whole backstory, who's clearly, I think, at least in those first movies, the most interesting character in terms of wondering what his background is. And uh, you have great moments between Xavier and Magneto. You have, uh, um, I can't think of his name, the blue one. What's his name? Nightcrawler. 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 Nightcrawler, who I love, who I who I wish was done great. in more movies, but I'm not sure why he was taken great. out. He was great in that movie. Yeah, I'm not sure why he wasn't in the third, but that's something to look up. Uh, and of course, you have um, Stryker played by, and I can't think of his name. Amazing character actor. If anyone wants to, Brian Cox. Brian Cox. Brian Cox, who's amazing in everything, and he creates yeah, he creates an excellent villain. He does a really good job for it. And it's really, I mean, it's just a great comic book movie. It, it's, it's not, it, we hadn't gotten to that point into the Dark Knight era of sort of more, sort of more serious movies, but this one gave you everything you wanted, really. It right. had a great mix of action, of drama, of comedy, pretty much the whole thing. You, you went to it knowing it was going to be a great summer movie, and you went out feeling completely satisfied. And it also had a great ending that set up what could potentially be an amazing third movie, which we will, <laughs> I assume, get to now. But the ending... As you know, if you've seen it, it sets up Jean Grey's possible death. It's a very dramatic ending and set the stage very much so for a third movie that would then go down the shitter. Yeah, I think I think my only my only disagreement with you is is um, is the idea of Magneto being an enemy. I I feel like I feel like I had a I have a, I have a friend who who is also very passionate about movies like this. Uh, and so he and I have uh, numerous conversations about the relations between uh, the relationship between Xavier and Magneto, and um, and and a lot of them focused around the the ending to uh, Last Stand, which we'll get to. But the the theory is my 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 ultimate my ultimate feeling on the subject is that Magneto and Xavier are are two sides of the same coin and they both want the same thing but they but they go about getting it in different ways and the relationship between between um, Magneto and Xavier and humanity isn't you know humanity in the middle between uh, Xavier who's trying to create um, diplomacy with them and Magneto who's trying to wipe them to the face of the planet it's uh, Magneto and Humani who are against each other with Xavier standing in the middle protecting each of them from each other where anytime Magneto tries to hurt humanity, Xavier will stop them and anytime humanity tries to hurt mutants, Xavier will stop them 
I, I, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I, I think yeah, it's a major point of the movie that Magneto is not the bad guy in the movie. I'm just, right. I just wanted to, to point out that there is a point near the end where he does become the antagonist briefly. But yeah. the main enemy is clearly human. But, no, but no I think, question. The thing, I, the thing I think that I love the most about this movie is, is at the very, very end when you see uh, Magneto in this glass prison and Xavier is there visiting him on equal terms and, and playing that chess match, which is always sort of... That, that's another reoccurring thing we see through all the movies is Magneto and, and Professor X locked in this intellectual struggle all the way through their entire relationship, which is just brilliant. It's just brilliant uh, it's, it's imagery work, symbolism work uh, throughout all of the movies, I think. So anyway. Yeah. I also want to point out just – I just remembered it, but it all has that amazing opening scene in the White House that really yes. sets the tone for the whole movie. Oh, yeah, you want absolutely. to know how to start a movie up fast-paced. That's how you fucking do it. That's That scene is great. So good. Uh, and I remember seeing this one at least twice in theaters, mostly because of that opening scene. Uh, yeah, I, I loved Nightcrawler in it. That The plot is very, at the same time, complex yet simple. Uh, it, it, it's just a perfect balance where it needs to be to get the amazing amount of action while still having a good story. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's right. definitely one of the better movies. Yep. Uh, I think Cyclops is also underused. Say, I think Cyclops is underused. I think, I think in all of the X-Men movies that we see, Cyclops' best moment is the 30-second cameo, 30 to, you know, 90-second cameo he has in Origins, interestingly enough. But we'll get there. Yeah. And, and me being a Cyclops he, he fan, comes I off think, as very... Well, and knowing that Cyclops is the leader of the X-Men, it's kind of hard to not see him or step up into that role. He's kind of more of an emotional character than he is the leader. Yeah. yeah, and he's he's which, he, which like, kind of sucks because I wanted him to take charge and be that badass that I knew he he is, instead of having them taking Logan Wolverine and making him the main vocal point on literally everything. Yes, that is one of my big problems with the with the series as well. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yeah, I want I want Wolverine to be because he is a big part of the X Men. He's that wild card to have in the X Men, but Cyclops is that dominant, powerful leader that you what, what I wanted from what I wanted from this series was what I got from Marvel's the Avengers which was at one point in time Captain America who's sort of lackluster when you put him next to Iron Man and Thor and the Hulk but his big power is being strong and being able to fight or whatever but also being able to see a situation in a different way and and create a plan of action that that helps everyone succeed and I feel like Cyclops that Cyclops's role in the X-Men unit and he almost never got a chance to show that in in this in this series yeah like wolverine's an interesting character no matter where he's at whereas cyclops really isn't interesting as a side character like he he can be a good character when he's in charge yeah i just i don't like the approach that they took on i think I think it just it really let me down because I'm such a huge Psychops fan out of the X-Men universe. It just kind of let me down as a fan what they did. So How dare. Let, let's I think though I think it's also important to point out that they could have it could have it we don't know what their original plan was. So it's possible that it could have gotten better by the third movie. Mm-hmm. If it didn't go, if he was not signed to Superman Returns, we don't know if there would have been if it was building to some sort of big showdown between him and Wolverine. We don't really know exactly what it was. But the one other thing I will well, add, I think, wasn't this movie does for longer. Well, it's up to he's in X three for like I believe to what happened. Oh, I know he's not in there for very long. But was Superman Returns the reason why he wasn't in there for longer? They were yes. released the same yeah. year, so yeah, I would assume. Singer brought him over, yeah. Oh, yeah, um, but I, I will say, that, yeah, the the one thing that uh, that this movie did perfectly to me, and that the rest of the series didn't do well, was they gave you just enough information telling you the backstory of Wolverine, but not enough that it ruined the mystery of it. Yeah, it gave you to me by the time by the end of the movie, I was like, I get it, that's it. I don't need to know anything else. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm totally in the know on what happened. You 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 did it well. I don't want to see it at the 
this point. <laughs> yeah, and his character was the there too. The like, like his one of his last lines is right, like, exactly, I, "I don't yeah. care about anything else." Like, you did this to me right. and yourself, so now it's time to you know pay the piper. Screw right. you, Striker. Time to move on. Yeah. Well, and he and he let right. go of it. Like it was a conscious choice for his character to be like, "Well, look, I know that something happened to me, and I know that you were the one who did it to me, but protecting the people who I care about now is more important than finding out what what happened to me." And that's a really strong choice. Right. For I'm not that person. Logan. I'm not this monster. Yeah. Cool. Enough on X2, I think, for now. Um, let's get into X-Men 3. I'm going to go ahead and read the I'm gonna go ahead and read the IMDb because it's awful also. When Akira is found to treat mutations, lines are drawn amongst the X-Men, led by Professor Charles Xavier and the Brotherhood, a band of powerful mutants organized under Xavier's follow ally, Magneto. That says everything. Now, here's here's my personal beliefs on the on the movie. Um, there were some really great things that happened in this movie. There were some really terrible things that happened in this movie. Uh, specifically, um, Cyclops. killing Cyclops before he had any chance to do anything. Um, uh, I don't know if they killed. That's him. not true. I, he I pouted think, quite a bit before he died. He did. He did. He did pout quite a bit. He was. I mean, ugh, I hope he's not. I don't know if he's dead. He might be somewhere, but. Oh no! He got vaporized. Yeah. Don't he's, say he's that. In, in the comic book rules, you're right. We never saw a body, but we did see some sunglasses. That that's close <laughs> enough to his body, because otherwise yeah, we'd see yeah. massive destruction yeah. everywhere and, around. And we know that. The phoenix, when she kills people, utterly vaporizes them. I think the biggest mistake that this movie made was the biggest mistake that the cartoon made, which is the biggest mistake that the comic book made, and that is the introduction of the Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix has always, always, always been a series killer for me. I've never liked a Dark Phoenix arc, really? except one time. There's one time that I liked a Dark Phoenix arc, and that was in The Avengers vs. X-Men, which came out recently. Um, but almost always, it creates a level of power that is completely un- uncomprehensible and uncontrollable, and, and there's n- like nothing you can do about it. And I always hate hopeless situations in, in those things. I want to believe in... in being able to overtake those things. I know that eventually they do or whatever, but it always feels it always ends up feeling like a cop out. Like it did this time, where where at the end you've got Wolverine, the only man who could withstand being vaporized by her because he can regenerate faster, which is probably not true. Um, she, I mean, with the power of the Dark Phoenix, she could literally unthink him mm-hmm. if she wanted to. So that that's been I think that's my biggest problem is the Dark Phoenix has never been great. And I think that uh, the woman who played Jean Grey was really, really good as Jean Grey, but whenever she had to snap into that Dark Phoenix acting mode, I didn't love her portrayal of the Dark Phoenix. Um, I think they brought in the Beast, which is one of the best parts about it. They brought in uh, Shadowcat as Ellen Page, which is one of the best parts about it. 
And they brought in the Juggernaut, who's an amazing character, but even that, his origin story is not of a mutation, it's of a magical item that he finds that allows him to become an unstoppable force. So playing with playing with um, canon and making some really, really weird choices for character arcs and character deaths and, and all those things just sort of super weakened this movie in my head. Not to say that I didn't enjoy it. I actually had a good time watching it the first time I did. But there were so many things that, that just plucked at my fanboy string and, and caused me to curse inside of my head a little bit that it ended up being a negative experience at the end of the day. Yes. And I think I agree with you in some aspects that Dark Phoenix is a bad choice for this movie. I don't think it's bad in the comics, um, but that's another argument. The, in this movie, they had the Dark Phoenix saga and the whole mutant cure thing going on together. Yeah. And both of those are easily enough to give you one full movie. Right. So it, it, it's kind of similar to Spider-Man 3 where they just try to throw right. too much into one movie and therefore everything falls short. If they had done Dark Phoenix yeah. in this one and then the cure in the next one. And too one, many characters. That'd be great if they had done you know, the cure in this one and Dark Phoenix in the next one. That'd be great. First. I would love mutant cure first and and the introduction of the Sentinels. That mm-hmm. would have been a much cooler action scene. Well, you kind of you kind of got a little introduction though through the the beginning well, but, movie. But, best I mean, scene in the movie, enough. by the way. That's, that's another problem is that they they have this Sentinel head show up in the danger room, which is an which is a computer construction of of imagined scenarios, which means Professor X originally designs the Sentinels. Because he's the first. This is the first time we see them in the entire series. Not necessarily, because in the comics, uh, the Danger Room actually becomes a character, Danger, which is the AI of the Danger Room. So right. that that could be argued that it was X, I'm lost, Xavier. <laughs> but again, <laughs> another another story that was actually written by Joss Whedon. That arc. Um, oh really? Yeah. Some Joss of the best X Men books out there. But yeah, back to the back to the movie. He's just a great man. He's just a great man. There's just, like, so many logic jumps they ask you to make. Like, okay, the second movie, they're, they have enough forethought to put Magneto in a plastic prison. All right, the third movie, we captured Magneto's second-in-command. Let's put her in a giant metal truck. What? Yeah. And, I mean, you've got the, you've got the truck full of the most heinous... Um, mutants in the world, and who do we have? We have Juggernaut, we have Mystique, and and Multiple Man. Yeah, and then and then you have Pyro. <laughs> well, Pyro wasn't in the truck, but I did. Lo- I mean, there were some really cool power combinations, like when Magneto was chucking cars and Pyro was torching them. Oh yeah, the the um, action sequences for the most part worked pretty well in this movie. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just that the character work, the story well, work. Yeah, but here's the major problem. Right. Good. It, it wasn't the story necessarily that bothered me as much as the character work. There are too many characters and none of them get enough moments to make me care about them. Like, like Angel. In every movie, it doesn't matter Angel, what, who's right. introduced it doesn't matter what, what, and, is, and is the hero of the day in another be, scene, and that is all we see of him. <laughs> and he was huge in the trailer. Right. We see and a sheet of him in the trailer. Beyond yeah. all the new characters that are introduced and thrown away, they're the old characters, and I don't really give a shit what other like character development they've had in the other movies. When any, whenever there's a new movie, I need to be reintroduced to them. That's how narrative works, and I don't think they did that at all. I don't. Wolverine's maybe the only character in the whole movie who I understood his motivation, or at least felt his pain at all. Phoenix is incredibly underwritten. Magneto's. I don't know what the hell he was doing. His plot is all. <laughs> Again, convoluted again. Xavier's just kind of there as a sacrifice. Magneto makes choices. Yeah. Magneto makes choices that he immediately regrets. Like when he when he when he sort of is encouraging Jean Grey to embrace the Dark Phoenix and then Dark Phoenix and, and, and turn her against Professor Xavier. And then she starts to she starts to, to get angry at him and starts to do her Dark Phoenix thing in his direction. And he's like, Oh, oh shit. Well that was a bad idea. No, don't do it. No, oh, now he's now he's particles. Great. <laughs> oh, and here's my here's my final thoughts. There there are two potentially three enormous things that happen in this movie. 
First one is Scott Summers dies. Second one is Professor Xavier dies. Third one is um, uh, Magneto and Mystique both lose their power through the, the mutant cure. In the last five minutes of the movie, two and probably the bigger of the three are undone, which mm-hmm. means all of the stakes for yeah. the entire movie are pointless. And you know me, I'm all about the stakes. <laughs> yeah, uh, after watching this one, Devin was like, uh, so what happened? And I was, I, I went through the list of like, oh yeah, Magneto lost his powers, Xavier died, and, and they were all like undone. Oh, the cure was made. Oh, but now the kid's gone and, you know, the, the lab is destroyed. Nothing really not happens a, in this movie. Yeah, nothing happens in this movie. Oh, Phoenix came back to life. Oh, oh, she she died. Um, the only raised, thing that guys, really happens that Cyclops stays, are actually dead. We Cyclops assume. is dead and Mystique has no powers as far as we know. Except that is another one. that If we can assume that Magneto is getting his powers back, then the cure is only temporary. Except it's Magneto, also, so you could argue, oh, he's powerful enough that they didn't give him enough cure. Except that that's not how genes work. <laughs> also, going beyond the actual, like, that crap, the, the the bigger point to me and what makes it fail is that this movie of any comic movie I've ever seen has probably the most loss and death of any comic movie. And do you feel it at all when you're watching it? No. Nope. I, in none of the death scenes that I feel that it was earned or that I actually felt the, the enormity of what was happening. We you almost get next close scene with Xavier. Almost. Yeah, there is that, that movie. Yeah, that was the – I would say that was the best scene in the movie. Just, that, that was my favorite scene. The moment, the moment where he chooses – like everything becomes still and he takes his, – his final words are, don't let it control you. And then they, the director chooses, or the director of photography or whoever, chooses for Professor Xavier to look at Wolverine. But he's not looking at Wolverine. They have him break the fourth wall and look directly into the camera, which is so jarring to me that I don't understand what's going on. And then, boom, he's gone. Anyway, sorry. In, that's in another... That's, honesty, well, I, and, I, and that's I, the... I mean, that's... Well, I'm just saying, in all honesty, as soon as Cyclops died, I kind of checked out when I, when I first saw it. When <laughs> I first fair. saw it, I was I was just like, "What the f?" I was like, I was so pissed. I mean, because I was thinking the whole movie, Cyclops is gonna come back. Cyclops is gonna come back, and then the movie ends. Where the f was Cyclops? Because I didn't want to believe he was dead. I didn't want to, but that was just me being. What, what, what year did that come out? Oh, As he, oh, 06? Oh, 06. So I was 16? Okay. Yeah, I was still... I was... I was upset. But, okay, I, I, just, wanted going get, off I, I just wanted to get that out. <laughs> Alright. Going off what Rudy said, I think it's important to note that it, this movie has what I would call... Again, to a, to a much greater extent, but what I would call the Man of Steel problem, which is that by the end of the battle, or by the battle happening, the stakes have not been raised to a point where I feel the jeopardy. And so whatever happens at that point doesn't matter to me. I don't care who dies. It doesn't. If it doesn't feel, if I don't feel it, it the, the 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 point of the moment is gone. Yeah. And this movie has no real setup. It's it, the director clearly just didn't give a shit. He doesn't know what he's doing. The writers were clearly had no idea where to go after Sing left. I mean, it's just very clear this was like they didn't know what they were doing this entire movie. I think in a dark in a in a in a okay if if the movie was only about the mutant cure I think the stakes were good. In a movie where they introduce the dark phoenix, it has to become life or death for an entire population. Like mm-hmm. I have to assume that if if right. things don't go well, the phoenix is going to destroy the world because she can. Or maybe even the galaxy because she yeah. can. Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, right. That's a great point. Yeah, the movie would have to be much greater in scope to cover that. Way bigger. All right. I think we've kind of killed the last stand. More <laughs> enough. And that wraps up the first half of our X-Men movie coverage. Come back next week as we talk about Origins, First Class, and The Wolverine. 
As always, thank you for listening. If you'd like to leave us feedback, you may do so at thecinemasters at gmail.com. Or you could go to our website, thecinemasters.blogspot.com, where you can also find links to the Rogue Arrow podcast, Mainframe Chronicle podcast, and the Colson Lives podcast. If if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I am Amazing Bass. That's Amazing B-A-S-S. I don't do a whole lot yet, but one day I will. And I am Daniel Janes. I'm Rudy Schubach. Shoebox on Twitter.com. And I'm Tyler Crouch. <laughs> yeah. You can, can, can also follow on Twitter. Tyler Crouch, if you want. The Sinmasters Podcast is an autological media productions podcast. You can leave us feedback at thecinemasters.blogspot.com or send us an email at thecinemasters at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes and like us on Facebook and go over to almppodcasts.blogspot.com to check out our other shows. As always, thank you for listening. I like it. I know, it's great, right? Another! Bye-bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle! Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye! We come from the net. Blogs, websites, podcasts, to this place, the The Mainframe Chronicle. Our format, podcasters, to analyze and discuss, to discuss the shows we love. Their strengths and flaws. We discuss them until our jobs ache. Software pirates. This is bad. This is very bad. Megabyte hit a delete command in the mask, just like you said. Only he didn't know because I should have copied and pasted the truth from the start. I am the Crimson Dino. So many moods. So little time. Careful, young Enzo. Remember that anything worthwhile takes time. What we have here is a failure to network. Well, get to work, you two. I don't keep you around for your brains, now do I? No, sir, not our brains. Absolutely not. The monkeys are restless, and my dog has fleas. Over. This is gonna take millions and millions of nanoseconds! This might even take one whole second! Dot, can you read me? Dot! They say the listener lives outside the net. And listens to the podcast. No one knows for sure. But we intend to find out. out. Mainframe Chronicle. Join us as we explore the world of Mainframe and the adventures of Bob, Dot, and Enzo in the Mainframe Chronicle podcast. You can find us at mainframechronicle.blogspot.com, on Twitter at mfchronicle, or on Facebook and iTunes by searching Mainframe Chronicle podcast. The Emerald Archer, the Battling Bowman, Ali. Whatever name you know him by, he is best known as Oliver Queen, the billionaire playboy who was stranded on an island for five years, forcing him to become the Arrow. Join us as we follow his journey to clean up the mess his father helped create in Starling City. I am Daniel Janes. I'm Chris O'Neill. I'm Laurel Mers. And I'm Rudy Schubach. And you should check out Rogue Arrow Podcast, where we talk about the CW show Arrow. You can find us at roguearrow.blogspot.com or by searching iTunes or Facebook for Rogue Arrow Podcast.